All right. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26 is our text today. We've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus uh, comes to the portion of, of His sermon where He begins to teach what true righteousness is. In verse 21, He says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother. And then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and put you in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Now, I, we won't be able to cover all of that text we're going to get most of it. We're going to focus on uh, verses 21 through 20, 24 uh, will be our focus today. But again, Jesus, he's, he's preaching a Sermon on the Mount. This is, he's telling us the way. He's laying out the foundation for the Christian life. What is a Christian? We have a description of that in the first 10, 12 verses of the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are meek and humble and all the blessed things. Blessed are those who are peacemakers and who are uh, rejoice when they're persecuted. We have a, a calling card for a Christian in the very first part of the sermon. And then he, he transitions next to say, you know, I, I didn't come to do away with the law. I've given you what, what a, a righteous person looks like, but I didn't come to do away with the law. I came to fulfill the law. We talked about that last week. I'm fulfilling, I'm making complete the law. So the law should point you to me, and I'm going to point you back to the law for how to live, how to live righteously, how to have my heart. Now, you've misunderstood the law, Jesus says, because you your righteousness has to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees or you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. So you've, you've misunderstood it. So let me, let me set it straight for you what, what righteousness looks like. And then he begins preaching and he starts off with anger. You've heard it said, don't murder. It seems to me there are two clear uh, focuses here. Two separate focuses. On the one hand, the text begins with Jesus focusing on the motives and the actions and the decisions of the individual. You know, the things that I do, the things that are in my heart. He says, you shall not murder. And then he says, but I say to everyone who is angry, or to put it a different way, he, he might say the, the one who is angry, the person who is angry to that person You'll be in judge, uh, danger of judgment. And then he says, whoever insults you or insults someone or says you fool 
Or to put it differently, the one who says insults, the one who says you fool. He's clearly addressing the individual in these first couple of verses. The individual responsibility that we have to to guard our hearts against anger. Then he makes a shift in verse 23. He's still focusing on responsibility of the individual, but now he shifts to the heart of someone else. He shifts to, to the other person's heart. He says, if your brother has something against you. So Jesus is speaking to the anger that comes up in our own hearts and guarding us, our own hearts, against anger that wells up within us. And then he shifts to looking at at what we do about anger in someone else's heart towards us. How do we handle it when other people are mad at us? What, What is our responsibility there? A lot of us would just say we don't have any. That's on them. That's up that, you know, they they got angry, they can get happy with the same face. I love that expression. You, you, can get, you can smile with the same face you got angry. I, I just, but it's not biblical. <laughs> not, from, not from the person who is receiving the anger. It's not biblical. It's not what Christ called us to. Let's go back and read, reread verses 21 and 22. He said, you've heard it said to those of old. This is the law. You shall not murder. I didn't come to... To abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. You've heard it said to those of old, this is the law, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. You face judgment when you are a murderer. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Now, Now, if we just have a quick and cursory and careless reading of that, it might lead you to think that being angry with someone is the same thing as murdering someone. It might lead you to think that's what Jesus is saying. He's not saying that. (laughs) They are two very different things. These two things have the same face in judgment. They face the same judgment. And Jesus even goes so far as to add a bit more weight to it when he says that what you say out of your mouth in anger could condemn you to the hell of fire. So, I mean, it's, it's weighty, but it's not the same thing. Jesus puts anger and murder in the same category without saying that they are the same thing. Yelling at someone... And belittling them out of anger is not the same thing as taking someone's life. Can we agree on that? It's not the same thing. But both of those things are condemned under the law. They're condemned if we understand the law properly because the law speaks to the heart of the matter. Jesus said that murderers will be liable to judgment and you who are angry will be liable to judgment. They have the same consequence. Now, if you have a King James Bible, you're going to see that there's a qualifier there. It's going to say those of you who are angry without cause. Whoever is angry at his brother without cause, I believe is how the King James puts it. It's widely accepted that those words, without cause, that little phrase there, was added later, much later, by the scribes and Pharisees, hundreds of years later, as a matter of fact, in the, in the manuscripts. The earliest and oldest manuscripts that we have don't have that word or don't have that phrase. So uh, we have to understand that there was a, a concerted effort in the early days of the church and in the world to try to smooth out the offense of the gospel. 
because it is offensive. The light is offensive to those who are in the dark. It's offensive. And they tried to make it so that Jesus wasn't as hard on sin as he was. Because if it's not a hard gospel, maybe more people will be open to it. If we, don't, if we kind of level it out and smooth out the rough edges, maybe it'll be more palatable to some people. And to be honest, they're still trying to do that. Don't you see it? They're still trying to take the offense out of the gospel. They do linguistic gymnastics all over the place. They do magic with words, you know, how they try to change the definitions of words, change the plain definition of words, the long-held, understood definitions of words to try to match whatever agenda they're trying to push to match their purposes of taking the offense out of the gospel. Or in this case, they just add words that weren't there to begin with. That's because the light of Jesus, like we said, it is offensive to those who are bound in darkness. These people, they they want a gospel that is comfortable, that doesn't ask them anything. They want a gospel that is Uh, doesn't require anything, but it affirms everything. They want a gospel that validates sin, that excuses sin, that embraces sin and celebrates sin because they've found their complete identity in their sin. The facts are that the earliest and oldest manuscripts we have don't have this phrase without cause. And when you understand what the heart of Jesus is saying is, then it makes more sense not to have those words. Why would Jesus put anger and murder in the same category? They're not the same thing. It's it's not the same thing. Murder is fruit, and very often the anger is the root. It's not the same thing to be mad at someone as it is to murder them. You know, anger being the root of this fruit. Anger may be driven by jealousy. It can be driven by, by greed. It can be driven by a broken heart. Think about it like a, the, the trickles and the streams that flow into rivers that eventually spill into the ocean. It's not the same thing to say that the stream is the ocean. Those aren't the same thing, but they certainly are connected, right? So Jesus says, if you murder someone, then you're in danger of judgment. He says, if you're angry, you're in danger of judgment. What does it matter if you, if you murder for good cause? What does it matter if you're angry for cause? Your anger has led to murder, period. Murder means killing someone with intention. And here Jesus is giving us the same warning that God gave to Cain back in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 6, the Lord says to Cain, Hey, Cain, why are you angry? Why are you, look what he says, Cain, you're angry. Why are you angry? Your face has fallen. So if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, guess what, Cain? Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you have to rule over it. There's, there's something taking root in you, Cain, The Lord gave a very clear warning to Cain. Listen, son, you've got anger in your heart and it's not good for you. Sin is hiding. It's waiting for the right moment to harm you. You've got to rule over it. You've got to be watchful for it. You have to be aware of it. Don't let it trap you. It wants to trap you. Don't let it do you harm. It wants to do you harm. And I'm telling you, it's there waiting for you. There's a root. 
that is waiting and it wants to produce fruit. That's what roots want to do, to produce fruit. Yesterday, my wife and I were um, moving boxes into her new classroom. There's a dark hallway, and she had gone to another room on the other side of this dark hallway, and in this hallway, there are two small bathrooms. So while she was in the other room, I took it upon myself to hide in one of the small bathrooms. The doors are open, and, and um, so I'm hiding in the dark in the doorway. And as she walked by, I jumped out and frightened her. We, that's a pastime at our home, see who can scare mom. And it's not, really, it's not really an issue. It's not really a struggle. We don't have to work hard to do it. She's easily frightened. So much to the point that when she comes home and no one is there, she's looking behind doors and in closets when there's no one there to jump out to scare her because she's so suspicious of us. She knows when she comes home that one of us might be waiting to jump out and frighten her. But she wasn't aware when we were moving her boxes. She wasn't aware. So I was very easily able, without any effort at all, to stand behind a door and just jump out and frighten her. And the scream was, it was a glorious scream. I wish I could have recorded it. It's good for her that my intentions were playful. Right? Right? If I intended her harm, it would have been very easy to harm her. She wasn't aware. When she comes home, she, her senses are heightened, right? Because we've, we've set a pattern. She knows someone's hiding. Someone's waiting to jump out and frighten her. So she's, she's aware. And that's what God is telling Cain here. Cain, you need to be aware that there's something hiding for you. It's in your heart, and you've got to be aware that it's there so that when it makes itself known, you can respond right. It's a lot harder these days to frighten her at home because she's waiting for us. So Jesus wants us to know that there is an awful sin and that the law has condemned this awful sin of murder. And he says, sure, you know, you're, you're doing great by not actually going and killing somebody. Good for you. But because you don't murder people, you think you're righteous? That's not the heart of it. There's so much more to it. There's a much deeper root. There's a long river that leads to murder. And we got to take care of the river at the head. Remember, Jesus said in verse 20 that our righteousness has to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. They're real good about keeping up appearances. And we know that from the life that Jesus lived and, and from his ultimate crucifixion that they had anger in their hearts, that it ended up being murderous anger, right? But it didn't start that way. Just like with the small streams that become great rivers that pour into great oceans, it starts small. It nearly always starts small. Something starts eating at you. A word, a look, 
a text message taken out of context because you cannot read tone in text. I can't see someone's face. I can't see, hear the tone of their voice when they say it. And we read it, well, what does she mean by that? How often have we gotten into spats because of text messages that just didn't get taken the right way? Then, then we're, we're having an argument face-to-face because one of us took the text message wrong. We took it wrong. Anger that welled itself up into harsh words. Jesus told us we have to guard our hearts against this anger. I think I said it last week, but it bears repeating that I don't think that murder, <laughs> killing, is a temptation really for most of us. You know, most of us don't wake up in the morning thinking, God, I, you have really got to step in and intervene and keep me from murdering people today. We don't have murderous intentions, most of us. Not really. I mean, we may say that, Lord, help me not to kill this person, but we don't mean that. What we do have, though, is anger. We have great anger. And sometimes not even great anger. We're not furious. We're just, it's just bitterness. And what that leads us to is to say things and do things that are not loving and not kind. You've heard the expression, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Everyone heard that? We teach that to our kids to to build fortitude in them so that if someone insults you, you don't have to worry about what they say because words can't hurt you. But, I mean, that's great to teach kids to to have thick skin and to to let things roll off their back uh, when people are rude to them because that's just human nature. People are going to be rude. But it's a bold-faced lie. Words matter, and they hurt. If Jesus thought that, if he thought that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, he would never have said, whoever insults his brother is liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, is liable to the hell of fire. Words hurt. They have an impact on someone's life. Maybe not a physical bruise, maybe not a physical damage, but it damages their heart. And it does damage to their dignity. The actual word in the, and you'll see it in your King James Bible, the word is raka. And it's a term that is meant to degrade someone. That's why we say, that's why it's translated in, in modern translations as you fool. It's meant to say you don't have any intelligence, you're an idiot. And oh, am I guilty of calling people idiots, especially on the road. We, we even coined a new phrase for dad, that stupid idiot, stupid idiot. That's not loving at all. That's awful. This ate my lunch, by the way, just so that you know. He's telling us it's not enough that we don't take a gun to people. You know, they would, they would take people and beat them within an inch of their lives. And because they didn't die, they thought they were righteous. Well, I didn't murder. It's not enough that we don't take a gun to people that we're angry with. We have to guard ourselves against all forms of unkindness. We have to preserve dignity. Jesus cared very much about the dignity of others. 
When I say dignity, I mean their worth as a creation of God. If you're not careful, your anger will lead you to very unkind things. Think about it, the things that you've said in anger. The things that you wish you could take back. But once you've said it, it's out there. The hurt that you've caused because you said something or did something out of anger and not out of love. Now, it has to be said that not all anger is sinful. The Bible tells us in Psalms 4 and Ephesians 4 to be angry, but don't sin. Be angry, but don't sin. There is such a thing as righteous anger. We saw even Jesus display righteous anger when he overturned the money changer tables in the temple. We should love the things that God loves. We should hate the things that God hates. But even then, even in our righteous anger, when we are displaying the the righteousness of God, the, the hatred of wickedness, the hatred of oppression, all the things that God hates, when, we're, when we're, we're following and pursuing that, we have to be careful that our anger does not lead us into sin. Lots of people have done atrocious things in the name of righteousness. History is replete with it. They've done horrible things in the name of God hates this. And let me just say this, that standing on a street corner uh, at a gay rights Rally and yelling, God hates you and you are an abomination, does not preserve dignity. It is not loving. It is not uh, the heart of God. In fact, it is very far from it. Those kinds of people, and forget a gay rights rally. How about a, a political rally? When did politics become faith? Those kinds of people have burned far more bridges. They've burned them to the ground than they have ever built or that they will ever build. They're not making a bridge to God. He gave us a ministry of reconciliation. What is reconciling about that? The Lord says, you can't hate. You have to love. That's who I am. Is it hateful to say that, that, that sin is sin? Is it hateful to say that God has made a better way? Is it hateful to say if you continue in this sin, your ultimate end is destruction? Is it hateful to say those things? Absolutely not. In fact, it would be hateful not to say those things if we believed them. But we must say things and do things in love and anger over sin It should press us further into the heart of our Lord who did not come at us wagging his finger or or yelling and berating his accusers and telling them that the Father hated them. He didn't come to us saying that. What did he do? He was gentle and lowly of heart, the Bible says. Sin made him angry. Sure, he hated it. It's an affront against the very God, the creator of the universe. It was an affront against him. He was God in the flesh. He had every reason to be angry. He had every reason to lash out. He had every reason to insult them and to berate them, but he didn't. And even the strong words that Jesus spoke, when he spoke strong words, he spoke them in love. He spoke them out of the great compassion in his heart to bring them to the light of truth. Jesus didn't call down fire from heaven. In fact, he rebuked his disciples who wanted to do that. 
Now he went to the cross to show his love. He went to great lengths to show his love. And that example, going to the cross, is, is what he did. Is, that's him living out on bold display what he tells us to do in verses 23 and 24. Because there he shifts. He goes from the heart of the individual. You've got to control anger. Sin is crouching at the door. It's waiting for you. You've got to take care of it. If you don't cut this thing off at the head, it will spill over into the great ocean from which you will not be able to return. And then in verse 23, he makes a shift. He says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Notice how it shifts. Now, most of us, we read this, we read it so quickly that we don't see the change here. We think, if I'm angry at someone, I need to go make it right with them. I need to go confess. I need to go get my heart right with them. I need to let go of that anger. That's not what it says. In the previous verse, he tells us that righteousness isn't merely not murdering. It's not just not doing the the worst thing you can do. Righteousness is a heart issue, and it's about loving people. We've got to get the root right so that we can produce good fruits or so that we can kill the wicked fruit. He told the Pharisees, it doesn't matter if the outside of the cup is clean, if the inside of the cup is filthy. He says... It doesn't matter if you don't murder people, if on the inside you're full of anger that leads you to do hateful things, unloving, unkind things. And then (laughs) he raises the bar. He says, you shouldn't come to the altar even if someone else is mad at you. Even if someone else is mad at you, Even even if you're not the one at fault. But someone else is angry with you. You shouldn't come to the altar. If you, if you come to the altar and you remember, then you know that someone is mad at you. You've got to go take care of that first. This is not about whether he's, his anger at you or this person's anger at you is right or wrong. It's not about whether that is justified anger or unjust anger. Sometimes people get angry at you and they're, they're angry for no good reason. You ever had someone mad at you and you think, what in the world is going on with them? What did I ever do to them? And what's our response to that? Well, they just need to get over it. I didn't do anything wrong. Not not me. And far be it from us to humble ourselves and go to that person and say, hey, how can we fix this? We get, they get mad at us because somebody's taking something completely the wrong way. Text message that's taken in the wrong way. They get mad at us because somebody lied to them about something that we said or did. There's all kinds of reasons people get angry at us. And how can we be held responsible for that? We're not responsible for how they feel. We are responsible for how we act. Jesus said, if you know someone is angry with you, go make it right with them first. Do you remember, blessed are the peacemakers? For they shall be the sons of God. Isn't that what Christ our Lord did? Isn't that what he did? In in 1 Peter 2.23, it says, When he was reviled, talking about Jesus, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, 
but he continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He sought to reconcile with us before he offered himself. There was a great altar that was the cross. And there was a great sacrifice to be paid. Before he came and paid that, he sought to reconcile himself with those who were angry with him. Did he not go to his brother who was angry and reconcile before offering his sacrifice? Did he not stand in the town square and declare, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink Did he not feed the hungry and heal the sick and give sight to the blind? Did he not teach the truth in their synagogues? Did he not bring them the bread of life? He came into the world, but the world did not receive him. He was despised and rejected by his own and for no reason. Wasn't his whole life a declaration that says, I want peace between us? And I want it to be well with you. I want it to be well with me. And I want it to be well between us. The same danger that awaits you when you allow anger to go unchecked in your heart awaits them. It awaits the person who's angry at you. And in this way, Christ calls us to love our neighbor as we've loved ourselves. That's the second great commandment. You love yourself enough to to make... To, to control the anger in your own heart. You love, your, love yourself enough to keep yourself out of, out of trouble from the law, to keep yourself in good graces. Do you love your brother enough to do it for him too? The same love that leads me to forgiveness and mercy is the love that I have received by being forgiven by a merciful God. The same righteous love for God is the love that calls me up and out of my anger and frustration towards others. It demands that I protect the relationships that I have with those who love me back and those who don't love me back. And Jesus will talk about that later, about how we respond to people who don't love us. You, you say you love your friends, but do you love your enemies? Be reconciled. Be a reconciler like our Lord. What great lengths did Jesus go to in order to keep the door open and to make a way for us to be friends and brothers? He went to great lengths. How many personal attacks and unjust accusations? How many irrational anger? How much of that irrational anger from other people did he have to simply lay aside? And he did it by stretching out his arms and saying, Come. Draw people in. Don't push them away because of some self-righteous idea that we have about why they have no right to be angry with me. Did Jesus ever have to admit any wrongdoing? So you don't have to admit wrongdoing if you did nothing wrong in a relationship. That's not the point that Jesus is trying to make. He didn't have to admit wrongdoing. 
And yet, the people were still mad at him, and they still cried, crucify him. Your efforts to make it right, to reconcile, aren't going to work with everyone, but you've got to make them. He still went to the cross. He still died to be reconciled with them. 2 Corinthians 5, 18. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled himself to us and gave us the the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in, in Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Do you see that? We've been given the same ministry and message of reconciling. It's very easy for us to look inward. And it's easy, I think, for most of us to look inward, especially those of us who are redeemed, to look inward and to say, who am I mad at? Who do I need to say I'm sorry to? I mean, most of us, again, especially those of us who have been redeemed, we have a, there's a humility that comes with that. There's a, a, already we've admitted sin and guilt before God, that we need a Savior, that we are forgiven. So it's not, it's not a far stretch to say, I, you know, I may be wrong in this situation. It may be easy for us to see that I'm the one that needs to go and make things right because I'm the one that's in the wrong. Now, whether or not pride allows you to do that is a different story. Whether or not we, we let our pride light up, uh, rise up in us and keep us from acting in obedience to knowing that we've done something wrong is a different question altogether. But I don't think it's hard for us to come to the conclusion, yeah, I was probably wrong in that scenario. What keeps us from making it right is pride. What, what is difficult, I think, is to think about the people that are mad at me. And, and then to desire to go to them, even though they're unjustly angry. Why, what, what in the world reason would that person have? I've done nothing to them. But then to humble ourselves and go and say, hey, I need to make this right. We get this attitude, you know, we don't know what's wrong with her. I don't know what's wrong with her. She just needs to get over it. But Christ didn't do that, did he? He told us that we are to love our neighbors even though, even through their anger at us, to help them through their anger at us, to bring them back to a place of peace. Don't don't come and offer a sacrifice if you know someone is mad at you. Go to them and try to make it right. And then come and offer your sacrifice. This was so important to him that he said, don't even, don't even, don't even worship. Your heart can't be right. Because you're not loving your neighbor as yourself. In this way, church, we model Christ. Think about it. Not only what anger am I holding that I need to let go of, but who might be angry at me that I need to go make peace with? I'll be honest with you. That is, that ate my lunch. You know, we study for this stuff uh, to try to bring it to you, to try to give the truth, to expound the truth of the Scripture. And, and when we dig deep into it, we're often, preachers are often digging deep into our own hearts. And this, this ate me up because I know there are people that, are probably angry at me. And i got to figure out, Lord, how do I make this right? Because I stand as a representative of Christ, as do you all, if you take his name. And if they're angry at me, they're angry at him. That's what he said. Don't, don't, be, 
When they revile you, they're reviling me. When they curse you, they're cursing me. They're just cursing you because of me. He calls us to a, a love that is much, much deeper than just not doing the bad things. A love that is, is sacrificial and that it goes out to someone who may have wronged us or may be unjustly angry at us to say, how can we make this right? And in this way, we model Christ. We model what he did on the cross. We get an opportunity to do it over and over again because people are going to get mad no matter what you do. I can't control how they act, but I can control how I act. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and we thank you once again for your word. God, help us with the the anger in our own heart. Help us with being sensitive to how others have, have received us. Help us to be sensitive to how they may perceive us, Lord. Give us the grace and the humility and the love that you have called us to, Father, to to represent you well, to draw them in by the cross. Help us to display your love in our lives. God, I pray that you bless us as we leave this place, rest on our hearts with conviction, and give us power. Power to do well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.